want you to open your Bible tonight to Mark 11, verse 24. I want to title it, Prayer and Faith. Prayer and Faith. I don't know of a subject more covered by books and sermons and special meetings and all of that than the subject of prayer. We're told constantly throughout the Scripture in the New Testament that we ought to pray, that saints pray. We look through history at the great saints. They prayed. The power of prayer, the results of prayer, the consequences with those who pray. Just a lot in the Bible about prayer. There's not so much about faith connected with prayer, but a lot about prayer. And I want us to read our old standby verse here tonight, one that I memorized many years ago that has meant much to my wife and I through the years, and for good reasons. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. That's as simple as it can be. But yet it's somewhat profound because I do not believe a lot of people get the depth of what he's saying here. I trust that you do. But again, for the 10,000th time, Jesus said, what things soever you desire. We all need something, and there are things that we all desire. Maybe a vacation, maybe a new car, maybe a, a better something. It takes money to get it. You don't have it, but you desire that. So here's what Jesus said to do. What things, there are things that soever you desire, when you pray, because that's what you do about it, you take it to God. He's your source. He's the one you turn to. When you pray, this is the condition that God expects from you that activates him doing it, that causes him to do it. When you pray, believe. Believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And in the Greek language, in all the different ways that Greek authors and authorities describe words, this word receive is the word received, past tense. And it reads like this. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you received them. Past tense. We would put have received. And he said, on the condition of you being willing to believe that you have received it, you shall have it. Now, that's pretty simple. So the question comes up in, well, then, do we only pray once? Do we only need to pray one time about something and don't pray anymore? Brother Hamilton, I've heard you say that you don't need to keep praying over and over and again and again about or for the same thing. That if when you pray, you believe that you have received it, then you must also know that God will give it to you, that you have it. But I would suggest this for anybody that uh, has a controversy with that. I'm going to talk about it tonight. I believe once you pray in faith, once you pray and your heart convinces you, you're persuaded and convinced in your heart that what you ask God for, that you have received it. I don't believe you have to pray anymore, but if you're not sure you've received it, you will ask again. Because most church folks, and I'm not talking about anything inferior here, and I'm just talking about most people, as they have been taught, pray and keep on praying, and they will not stop praying until they see some visible evidence. They will not believe that you can say you have something unless it is materialized or manifested. If you say anything else, then you're not telling the truth. See, the problem that a lot of people have is this. You cannot believe a prayer is answered unless your senses connect with it. Touch, smell, taste, hear, that type of thing. And until there is some way to verify that you have received it with the physical senses, then you really can't say you have it. If you say you have it and there's no revelation to your senses that you have it, then in a sense you're lying. If, for example, you were <coughs> creepy and barely talking and somebody said, well, what's wrong with you? If you said, 
Well, I believe by stripes I'm healed. They would wonder about you. Now, I know what I'm talking about. It's been too many years. Look back and know how this works with so many people. They do not believe you're telling the truth because you don't sound healed. You don't look healed and you don't sound healed. Therefore, you are not healed. When you read this verse in Mark 11, 24, it's such a profound truth. It's simple, but it's profound. Jesus said, this is the condition to receive from God. When you pray, believe you got it. Believe that you have it, and you'll get it. Remember what he said in the book of James, chapter 1? He said, if any man lack wisdom, ask of God. But let him ask in faith without being unsure or wavering or doubting or being non-persuaded. I don't know. Let him pray without that. Because if a man is not sure when he prays he's got something, James writes, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. And yet that's usually disregarded in the church today, and people just keep on praying as they were taught, as their mothers and grandmothers taught them, and church taught them. You read James chapter 1, or you read Mark eleven twenty four, and it just that couldn't be right. You're telling us that you've got to believe you have something, and there's no evidence of it. And yet we do that with our salvation. We say our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. How could this be? Have you seen the book? Well, no, but well, then how do you know there is even such a book if you've never seen it? Let alone, how can you know your name is in the book? I mean, how do you know it's in there? Who told you it was in there? Have they seen it? Well, then how do you know there is a name in a book called the book of life that is your name? Well, you don't know. You have to believe. And yet, that's so easy for the evangelical mindset in the church today is to believe. They believe Jesus died for their sins. They believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. They believe the Bible is true. They believe so many of the right, important, fundamental things to believe. But when it comes to everyday living, this faith stuff is like a dream. It's like something that it just doesn't sound right. Because we should all pray. And yet, the condition for prayer is when you pray, believe you have received it. It doesn't mean there aren't things that you pray for every day. You pray for the government every day. There's a lot of things we don't know how to pray for as we ought. Some things we don't know what the will of the Lord is about. And we have a way to do that. We can pray in tongues. That's one of the things that the Spirit of God gave us to pray with. We don't know how to pray about things as we should. Do you know what the Lord's will is about nine-tenths of the requests that we get here? I don't. I really don't. I don't always know if somebody is being chastised, if somebody's being judged, and yet we're praying that everything will be well when it might be something totally wrong in that person's life. I don't know. I don't know. My faith is limited to what is in my heart that I know. And if I don't know that, then praise God, I can pray in the Spirit. And I can just trust God that he'll do well. Some prayers are general. We know to pray for goodness and mercy, that we pray for good government. We pray for a good day. We pray that God will bless and guide our steps today and that we'll be consciously aware of what he wants us to do wherever we are, that we will do good and not bad today, and, and that God will make me sensitive to whatever his spirit is saying. Pray that every day. But when it comes to what things ever you desire, he said, when you pray, believe you've got it. You must embrace it in the realm of your faith before you'll ever see it. And yet, most people don't. And that's the, one of the reasons why people give up on either praying or walking with God. It just doesn't seem like it's working. So we come to this message here tonight. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at two sections of Scripture tonight, Luke 11 and Luke 18. Those are the two passages that people use to tell us that praying once is not enough, that we must keep on praying. And you must keep on praying and keep on knocking and keep on asking until the thing you're praying, asking, and knocking, and seeking is materialized or manifested. And if you tell me that I only have to pray once and then somehow believe I have it when I haven't seen it or feel it or taste it or touch it or smell it or hear it, and you're telling me that I have it even though I can't relate to nothing, I can't buy that. We're going to get together tonight and just bombard heaven. 
We're going to lay down here and we're going to flood heaven with prayers until, until what? Until we move God. I've heard stuff like that my whole life. Do you really think all of us together are big enough to do that? Maybe you think so. That's okay. I'll leave you with that. But just remember this. Jesus warned us against vain repetitions. Lord, here I am. Do something. Oh, Lord, I need something now. Has anything happened yet? No. Lord, here I am. I need something now. Anything, anything happened yet? No. Lord, here I am. I need Is there something wrong with this? Lord, I need something. I need, I need a this or a that. I got to have some money or something. The mailbox coming. Anything in her hand? No. Lord, come on now. I'm serious. I really need something. Is there anything in there? No. Lord. No, I, I'm going to fast now. I'm going to deny myself a bowl of cereal. It ain't working. Okay. Nothing's working here. Everybody get a prayer list out and put my name at the top. We've got to do something about this. We've got to pray. Come on. What am I saying? If we can just pray enough, then it'll work. See, my question is, then what do you need faith for? All you need is effort. If you keep praying long enough, eventually you'll get it. You don't need to believe at any point you have it because you just keep on asking until finally you get it. Now, I know that question rages, and I know a lot of people wonder about that. But let's look at two sections of Scripture, Luke 11 and Luke 18. We'll look, first of all, at Luke 11. Let's read the first four verses. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus taught what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this begins about prayer. So this little section of scripture here is an introduction to prayer, and then something that Jesus adds to that Lord's Prayer to show us something. Verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For Guthrie has come to see me, and he's always hungry, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is shut now, and my children are with me in bed. I don't know why. I cannot rise and give thee. And I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity will he rise and give him as many as he needed. Now, do you suppose that's the way we relate to God in prayer? Is God that way? Do we have to badger him to get him to do something? You think about it. See, the story is simple. You got company. It's Guthrie. And your company comes at the midnight hour. I mean, you would think he would at least call. So he shows up at the midnight hour. And he's hungry. You don't have any bread. And you need some bread because hospitality is a big deal. It wasn't in, in these times, too. And so I go over to the Martins. I said, James, I need some bread. I, Guthrie came, and you know how he is. I need some bread. And James says, go away. I said, but you're my friend. They said, not right now. I am your friend, but I've locked the door, and me and Caleb and Levi and Mark, we're all in bed together. <laughs> I thought of him today. That's why I said that. I, you see all them people in one man alive. But we're all together in one bed. Like me and Mom, Paul, and Dave, and Jim in one bed along with the girls. Now, I know that's not the way that means. I'm assuming these are little kids, and there was this one bed in the house, so I don't know. He said, we're already in bed. 
Now, Jesus is telling the story. He said, I'm already in bed. I've already locked the door. I can't get up and give you anything. And yet I stayed outside the door, and I continually requested, firmly, shamelessly requested, which is what importunity means. I mean, you know, this is not normal to just get a man up in the middle of the night to give you some bread. But it's really, I've got to have some bread. It was either him or Guthrie, and I'd rather him be mad at me than, you know, the Guthrie. So I, I just stayed with it. Now, the point of it here is that the man stays outside and says, James, come on, I know you got some bread. I'm in bed. I know where you are. I know who you're with. All you got to do is get up and give me three loaves of bread and I'll see you tomorrow and pay you back. I just want you to lend them to me. No, hey, J James, I got nowhere else to go. You're my source. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm still out here. I'm still out here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm still right here, brother. And so he gets up and says, how many loaves you want? I said, three. Here, give me as many as I want if I just leave him alone. Now let me ask you all something. Is that how you relate to God? Is God like that? Does God only respond to your continual insistence that he give you something? Now, remember, the first thing he did was teach on prayer. He said, this is the way I want you to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so forth. And he said, now, in the same breath, man has company, doesn't have anything to feed him. He goes to a friend. He says, friend, lend me three loaves. He says, I can't. I'm in bed. Door's locked. It's midnight, man. Come on. I need three loaves. I'm in bed. I know where you are. I need three loaves and all of that. And eventually he got up and he gave him those three loaves. Now, Jesus said he gave it to him because of importunity, because of his constant insistence that he gave it to him. Now, this is the way the average Christian views how you move God in your behalf to answer a prayer. You have to stay before him maybe three or four times a day, you have to keep on bringing that thing before him and bringing it before him, and you keep on pleading your case before God all day, three or four times a day, as much as you have to. And I think what he's teaching us is this. This is my understanding. Because I do not believe that God ever intended for us to beg him because by definition, faith is nothing like that. Faith is when you ask. Well, let's go back to our text. What things soever you desire. Let's say it's three loaves of bread. When you pray, what? Believe. Well, that man, if he'd only asked once, you'd have heard him snoring. So he stayed with him. Well, now, wait a minute. God doesn't sleep. God is not like a man. God is not as a man is. What he's showing us is that there is in prayer those people who will not take no for an answer. I am not taking no for an answer. I'm not going to go by how I feel or what things look like or what things sound like. I am coming to the one source who can take care of my needs, and that is you. And you have given me a promise in this word that you'll do it, and therefore I'm not taking anything else but that. If I have to stand here all night long, I'm going to stand here all night long, but I am going to do it. Remember this verse in James chapter 1, 5? Listen to this. If any man lack, let him ask of God, who gives to all men. Is that what it says? Who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Doesn't chide you. He doesn't complain about you being here asking. That's what James 1, 5 said. But let him ask in faith without doubting, he said. And it shall be given him. Look at verse 9 and 10. Many people need to realize, like he said in verse 8, he will not give him what he wanted because he's his friend. If he had finally gave in to the fact that it doesn't look like it's going to work like most people do and turned away and walked away, his friend would have gone back to sleep. He wouldn't have had his bread and he'd have had an embarrassing moment 
with his company. But he wouldn't play that. He said, I'm not taking no for an answer. And he says in verse 9 and 10, and I say unto you. Now, this is what I have to say about that. Ask. The word ask in the sense ask and seek and knock are all like saying ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking, which some people interpret as concerning the same thing. Keep on asking until you get it. Keep on knocking until you get it. Keep on seeking until you find it. That would be true as a pattern of life. We're allowed to ask. Didn't he say in James 1, ask and it shall be given unto you? I mean, he said he will not upbraid you for asking. If you lack faith, ask God. He's your source. Lack wisdom, ask of God. And he told him that you can have what you ask for. When you pray, believe you have it. And you shall have it. But don't just keep asking as though it's never going to work and you're trying to persuade God that you're serious or sincere or that you have a great need. God knows everything about you before you ask him. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, your father knows that you have need of all these things. The condition is ask. Ask God. But like James 1 says, you bring that into play. When you ask, believe that you have it. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 5. I want you to hook James 1, 5 with Luke 11 here. If any of you lack bread for your company, let him ask of God, who is not like some midnight friend, but let him ask of God that giveth to all men how? Liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. I suggest to you that there are thousands of people asking that are not receiving that there are thousands and thousands of people down through history that have asked and asked and asked with multiple hours of asking that did not receive. I do not believe that somebody taught them that when you ask God for anything, he requires you in James chapter 1, what's verse 6 say? But let him ask in faith without wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven tossed by the wind. Verse 7 says, let not that man think what? Now, time out, all of you right here in this church. I can't answer for everybody else. I want you to understand this. God wants you to know that when you ask for something, that the condition you ask with is faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, you don't need to believe it. Like folks say, well, I believe it when I see it. That's ignorant. You don't believe anything you see, you know. I don't believe you're sitting here tonight. You know how I know that I don't believe you're sitting here? I can see you. Now, if it was unsure if anybody was going to come tonight and I had to believe you all would be here, that's another story. But he said in James chapter 1, when you put James 1 with the other ones over here, he said, you must ask in faith because if you don't believe, when you pray about something, you won't get it. So before you get real quick to just agree with anybody about anything, I mean, again, with all the requests that we get, just pray for this and pray for that. Wait a minute now. Before you set yourself in agreement with anybody, is this something you're convinced is, that God's going to do? Are you persuaded that what you're asking for, he's going to do it? Well, I don't know. Well, then it's not faith. It wouldn't do any good for you to pray anyway. Are you all here? That's pretty narrow, folks. I've lived long enough to know that that's pretty narrow to a lot of people. But I didn't write it. I didn't give us that. That's what the Lord says. It works like this. All you're praying and trying to get things, maybe just if we pray enough, we're going to get it. It doesn't work like that. That's not what Jesus taught. He said, when you pray, believe. Matthew 21, 22 said, all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. That's just like quoting the Bible and say, well, God said it. It's going to work because I quote the Bible. Paul said, I'm glad that when you receive from me the word of God that you received it as it is, not my word, but God's word, which effectually works in those who believe it. You got to believe it. You got to be convinced that when you pray for something that it's going to work. Otherwise, you need to just wait. If you can pray in the spirit, that's wonderful because you should. 
There's too many things we pray for that we don't know how to pray for, but we accommodate others' requests by praying something that is nice, and we really do hope that works. But that's not what we're being taught by the Lord. When you pray, believe. Do I believe in praying once? And that? Yes, I do, absolutely. Yes, I do. I believe that when faith prays, you're through praying for that. You can now start thanking God for it. Because even though you don't see it, you believe you have it. It's just a matter of time until God brings it into focus or in the realm of visibility or manifestation. But he said in verse 9 and 10, just ask. God's your source. Ask. You'll get it. Ask. He said in verse 10, everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeks, find. And to him that knocks, it shall be open. And God gives you good. I mean, he goes on to describe how he gives you. He doesn't give you bad things when you ask for good things. Remember, folks say, well, you might ask for this, but he might not give you that. Well, read what he said. Listen to this. If a son shall ask bread of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Because people say it all the time because of failure in prayer. They have prayed. It did not work. They know people who pray. It does not work. Therefore, their prayer is a hope it works situation. And if it doesn't work, well, I didn't really expect it to. And, you know, there's folks, again, to say, well, I know you, you may ask him for this, but now he may not think that's good for you, and so he may give you something else. Well, Jesus said, if a son asks bread of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will for a fish he give him a serpent? Or if he asks an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Well, no, a father wouldn't do that to his children. Well, neither would God do it to you. When you pray, believe what you're asking for will come to pass. Believe that you have it. He didn't say you would see it. He didn't say you would feel better after you prayed. He didn't say you would sound better. He didn't say the mailbox would thrive after you prayed. It's the thing where you come to God, and God's going to test us in the last days this way. We'll get to that in just a moment. When you pray, you believe that you have received it. And God requires you to act like you have it. He requires you to quit asking, quit striving about it, quit being tense about it. Just start thanking God for the answer. Praise the Lord. I thank you that I'm well. I'm whole. My money has come in. My wife, daughter, son, sister is saved. I've claimed them, and I've, in my heart, I've embraced that, just like James 1 says. Praise God, I believe I have it. Well, you want us to pray with you? You don't need to. I don't even need you to agree with me in prayer. I believe I have it. You're agreeing with me doesn't make it better. You can agree with me if you want to, but I'm not soliciting that because I believe. Sometimes you don't know what to do. And Bonnie and I, one time one of our children got hurt, we agreed together. I remember to this day, I was sitting at my desk. First thing I did was turn to Mark 11:24. Daughter's mouth is bleeding and teeth are sticking out. I mean, it's just a terrible looking thing. And I read Mark 11:24, and I asked myself the question. Do I really believe when I pray that God's going to fix this? Because if I'm not sure he's going to do this, then I'm going to take her to a dentist or something because I don't want her to go through life with me trying to act like I'm somebody that I'm not. But I'm not going to jump up out of here and do something crazy either. I'm going to stay before the Lord a while here. I'm in no hurry. What things ever you desire, I want her teeth fixed. When you pray, believe you have received it. So I turned over there to another place in the Bible, looked at Bonnie, and I said, do you believe God can fix those teeth? you believe it? Just us praying, that's all it takes. Do you believe that? She said, yes. Open my Bible up where it says, if any two of you shall agree on earth. Remember that verse? If any two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done. So I agreed with my wife. And we put our finger together on that verse, and we held hands with the other hand. And I said, now, in Jesus' name, Lord, you said, if any two of us will agree, have the same mindset, the same kind of faith for something, for this girl, for our little girl, you said that if we agree together, if we agree together as touching this, that it shall be. 
And in Jesus' name, we receive it as done. Amen. And that was the last time we ever prayed for that little girl's face. Never prayed for her again. It seemed like as it began to heal, the teeth just stuck straight out like two little machine guns sticking out under her lip or something. It wasn't, but, you know, it's, the devil makes it look worse than it is. We went on a trip, and people would look at her, and we'd come home. No better. In fact, it was starting to heal up, and it just looks deformed. Big gash under the chin, you know, it's healing up. And you can hear this, somebody in your mind saying, you know, this is going to set. This is all going to get set like this, and this child ain't never going to get married. But one day it did. One day in a moment in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, beautiful day. Just in a moment at a supper table, it, it healed just to be just while we're eating. While we're eating. It took a while. It took quite a while. It took long enough for people begin to notice that your child's face ain't no better since you prayed. Your child's condition hasn't changed a bit since you prayed. And most people, I guarantee you, because of public pressure or opinions or because of the fear or threat of some kind of deformed look, they would have run off right away. I'll pray, but I ain't going to wait long. And they failed the test. We just said, in Jesus' name, she is healed. My mother, first one came over that very day. My mother called Judy her little sugar baby. Come here, man, my sugar What happened to you? She said, what's wrong with this child? What, what happened? I said, she fell down. She's all right. And you could hear my mother said, all right, look at her. And that's what the public does, which erodes most people's faith. It does. I mean, the more you're out there where they are, the more you got to fight what they say. But we just decided that I don't care what anybody says. If it hair lips the whole world, we're going to hold on to it. It's going to stay with God. And if this goes down the tube, then give me the blame for it, but I'm going to be blamed because I trust God. I would tell God several times, Lord, I'm counting on you. I'm not asking to do it again. I'm just saying I just want you to know that I don't know how long you plan to take. It doesn't matter, but you're going to do this because you said you would. you're God. You can't lie to me because you're not a man that you should lie. And a lot of things I'd memorized in Scripture, praise God for all, because that was the armament that we had in this fight. It was just in there. It just kept coming out. A couple of weeks later, maybe two weeks, we came home and everybody said, hey, she's okay. And I didn't say, well, of course she's all right. Well, you know, I just said, yeah, God's faithful. But I'm saying it took a while. It takes long enough for you to hear people say, well, it doesn't look like it's going to work. I wouldn't do that to my daughter. Then they would say this, I don't think God would ever want you to do that to your children. People who don't even know who he is, people who don't even relate to God, always knows what God wants. Turn to Luke 18. Luke 18. Look at verse 1. Luke 11 does not teach pray again and again and again for the same thing. That would be vain repetition. Vain because you're not believing. You know, my dad was a Catholic, and he prayed a rosary. They do it all day long. They have beads, and each little bead is a prayer. Either the Hail Marys or Our Fathers or the other, whatever the other one is. Throughout the day, they just hit a bead and pray that one. I've watched my granny do it a lot. Hit another one in there and be sitting there at the kitchen table, and then she'd have another little bead and move in her mouth, and she'd hit another little bead, praying the same thing over and over. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord, bless us. I'm going to bless you. Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother God, pray for us. Not that our death, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord. And they go through all that. All that. It doesn't mean anything. It's just vain repetitions, just repeating over and over and over again. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with you, so forth. That is the way they're taught. That's what they count on. It has nothing to do with their request. It's just that somehow, if I can approach the mother of Jesus, you know, who has more influence than a mother? I mean, I'll go to her. Would you talk to him? One time they said to Jesus in Luke 11, 28, a woman in the crowd said, Blessed is the womb that bore thee and the breast that which thou hast nursed. You know what Jesus said to her? He said, Yea, rather. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. <laughs> Yea, rather. I asked a nun one time. She came up to me and asked me a question. And I said, now you pray every day that you're a sinner. She said, I do. 
she didn't make the connection. I said, yes. Do you not end your Hail Marys as you pray the rosary every day? Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And she said, well, yes. I said, well, you're confessing you're a sinner. That means you haven't been saved. And I could see her mind trying to find something in that web of Catholicism to last. But there was nothing there. There wasn't anything there. It's just vain prayers, prayers with no faith, prayers that are trying to persuade God that you really have a need, and yet God already knows what your needs are. Luke 18. Luke 18 and verse 1. Here we go again about prayer. And he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Listen to another translation. Jesus used this illustration with his disciples to show them that they need to pray at all times and never give up. The Williams translation would say this. Now he told them the following story to show how necessary it is for people always to pray and never to give up or faint. Now keep that in mind as we look at Luke 18 because this is another section of Scripture that people use to show that praying once is not what Jesus taught, that we're to keep on praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying until the thing happens. There's more translations that are similar to this than just these two. But he said, Jesus taught them in a parable to show how that men ought always to pray and never give up. Verse 2, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. Well, it didn't hard to read what he said. He said, There was in a city a judge. Now the judge presides over a law. He is the executor of the law. If we referred to the law as a sword and the judge as the executioner, the one who takes the sword and applies it, you have a woman here who knows what the law says about her adversary. Somebody legally is bothering her that should not be allowed to bother her. Or some adversary doesn't say what it is. She has an adversary that she shouldn't have. And the law is supposed to defend her and take care of her. Now, the judge is unjust. He doesn't fear God. He's not righteous. In fact, he doesn't care a thing about people, especially this widow. He doesn't care if she gets freed from her adversary or not. And it appears that when she came to him, he simply disregarded her. He didn't care what happened to her. I don't care what troubles you. But she wouldn't leave the judge alone. Now you get a picture here. She wouldn't leave the judge alone. It's like that man in bed. You could see her coming back the next day. I would like to remind you that you are the one the law requires to execute vengeance here. And as I've told you, there's a person here who's doing me wrong, and I want this to cease. And I've told you, so therefore, I'm here. And he kept disregarding her. But she was back again the next day. She might have come back that afternoon. And she said, he's still out there. He's still troubling me, but you know, I'm here. I didn't come here to take no for an answer. I didn't come here to try you and see if maybe you could help me. By law, you're supposed to help me. And so I'm here. I'm not going to quit. Like another story in the Bible about the Syrophoenician woman. You remember her? My little daughter is vexed with a demon. Remember about children's bread? You don't give it to dogs? She didn't give up. She said, that may be true. Maybe what you are offering your people, they don't even want. I do. I want just a crumb of what you offer them. It takes a crumb. What you got is so strong. Just give me a crumb, and my little girl will be well. And she was. There was another story about Bartimaeus. You ever hear of Bartimaeus? And Bartimaeus on the side of the road, blind, he heard that Jesus came by, and he hollered at him, have mercy on me. 
And the people treated him with scorn. I think even his followers said, shut up. He didn't go pay attention to you. You're a nobody. And you know what he did? He yelled. He yelled louder. He didn't get any satisfaction. He screamed. Now, it doesn't say that in the Bible. I'm just adding that little bit to it to show you that there are people who want something that God has bad enough. They won't leave him alone. I mean, they're going to stay right there before him in an attitude of receiving, and it's going to work. Now, Bartimaeus kept asking. Finally, Jesus stopped me. He said, tell him to come here. He didn't go to him. Bartimaeus threw his garment away because he'd get it back in a minute. He'd be healed in just a minute. He found his way over there. Another case, two blind men followed Jesus all day long. That would have been a hard thing to do in that terrain over there. Followed him all day long. They were blind. He went into a house and he ignored them. They went right to the house and he said, what do you want? He said, we want to be healed. He said, you are. And their eyes were opened. It pays off if you be persistent and stay with it and don't give up and don't get discouraged and don't throw in the towel and don't faint and don't draw back. Well, it must not work. I don't feel any better. I got prayed for last week. Faith never talks like that. A man who believes God never talks like that. It's people who don't know how to believe God. Let's say that. I'm not talking about bad people. I'm just saying people that have not learned how to trust the Lord yet. Notice again, he says, pray and faint not. Never give up. Verse 5. Why would he answer a woman like that? He said, yet because this widow troubleth me, troubleth me. What do you mean by troubleth me? Well, she irritates me. I can't even walk down the hallway in the judge's quarters here without running into her. She's out there waiting on me. I can't get away from her. I hear her voice out in the hallway. And she wearies me. He goes on to say, she not only troubles me, but he said, she wearies me in verse 5. Continual coming. In this case, I don't know that she kept asking. She probably hadn't been taught. But this passage of Scripture here is not teaching us to ask and keep on asking. It teaches us that when you pray, believe you have received. Because the eighth verse says what? God will avenge his own how? When? Speedily. Nevertheless. What? Then how do you get faith out of what he just taught? It's not even mentioned. To the faith anti-faith crowd, all you do is just keep asking, ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. Look at verse 7 again. The Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect. Now, his elect mean more to him than the widow meant to that judge in verse 2 and 3. That judge meant nothing to him but elect. The elect are the ones that God chooses to be his own. You did not choose him. He chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you. Being saved is not yours to do. Being saved is God's to do. And when God causes you to be saved, it's because he chose you. Your response to him is also what he gave you to do. That was a part of the plan. And he said that his elect do cry out to him day and night. We see a lot of things that we want to stop. We pray for our government, don't we? If a law is about to go into Congress, which is a bad law, and personally, I don't want health insurance. I really don't. I have assurance, and I don't want anything else to trust in. Now, I know how people talk about sickness and all of that, and no, that's a dreadful thought not to have anything, but you know what? I really don't want it. I don't want force on me. So I pray. There are people in other countries, not the United States, that are hugely oppressed. In China, in some of the islands, in Indonesia, where there's a lot of Christians being persecuted and terrorist activity, these people are dying because they meet. They meet in a group like this, and they have to meet in secret. 
They get caught, they burst in, they put people like me in prison for 10 years and they beat them almost every day. They don't feed them. All because of what you believe. So there's things for us to pray about. The Bible says his elect do cry out every day because we always have a need. If we're poor in spirit, there's always a need in our life, and we're always crying out to God because he is our source. He cares about us. He's not like some unjust judge. We're talking about God who birthed us into this world. He knows what we're crying about. He knows the cry of our hearts. It's a good thing for us to make him our source and to cry out unto him. Put your finger wherever you are and go to Isaiah 43 and verse 26. Isaiah 43 and verse 26. We cry unto God because he is our source. The word that he gave us, the way that we are properly taught by the Spirit, informs us of what we can depend on him to do for us. And what he says he will do, that's what we count on him to do. Isaiah 43 and verse 26. This would be a good verse to memorize. He says, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Let us contend together. What's God saying? Is God saying, come before me and bring your petitions on the basis of what I will do? Right, stay there for just a minute. When God says to us, his people, put me in remembrance. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Why does God want you to put him in remembrance if he knows all things? What's the purpose of you putting him in remembrance when he already knows his wisdom is infinite? He knows everything that can be known. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. There's nothing he doesn't know. So why would he tell earthlings like us to put him in remembrance? Because what he has told us. Remember in Isaiah 55, he said, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. If we're being taught this, we run across promises. We run across statements that God has made to meet our needs, to bless us, secure us, protect us. Then in life's struggles, we find everything but that going on. So we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, you told us in Isaiah 43, 26 to put you in remembrance. You said, let us contend together. The very thing that I'm to have faith in is the word that you have spoken, the statements that you have made. Now, I'm bringing those statements to you, and I'm saying, Lord, this is what you promised. This is our need. And when you pray, what are you supposed to do? Believe. It doesn't say that immediately they unlock the doors to the prison. It doesn't mean immediately that the disease falls off and a new turkey comes rolling in, baked just the way you like it. He just said that when you pray, you put me in remembrance. You declare thou that you may be justified. You tell me what I've said. Show me what you're standing on, Christian. Show me that you're putting my word above everything. Because as God said, he honors his word above his name. Psalm 138, 2. And so... Put me in remembrance. We declare unto God, Father, you have said. You remember the story of Jehoshaphat, that just before the battle the next day, they all went out to a valley where the enemy was coming. They were coming from the south of Israel, from the cliffs of Ziz, right up to Injeti, south of Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat and all of his people walk out there the next day without arms without swords, spears, and shields. And they begin to rejoice. But before they rejoice, Jehoshaphat said, Now, all of you that are here, we're going out this day because God spoke to us yesterday when we assembled. He told us that we're going to go out here, and if anybody tries to bother us, he said that he would take care of us. So we're here according to his word, not to fight, but just to assemble. 
And here we are, Lord. You know what Solomon said when, he, when Solomon came to his throne in 2 Kings 1, 2, or 3, somewhere? When Solomon, David's son, came to the throne, he said this, Lord, you said, if ever there is a famine, pestilence, an invasion, everything, we will come to this house and we will cry unto you. And you will hear us and you will deliver us. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, when a million soldiers, Ethiopian soldiers, came against him, Asa said, we have no might against these people, but you have told us that when we look at something like this coming, you've told us to come to this house. You gave this land to Abraham, and we are your people. You gave it to us. You, you through us, removed all the inhabitants of this land. Now they're trying to take it away from us. They just put God in remembrance of what he had promised. That's all he asked you to do. Problems come up and we get on the phone or that dumb computer thing and, and we start broadcasting, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's so bad. I woke up this morning. It was bleeding. You don't have a dime's worth of faith. Say amen or don't, don't, don't. You know what you need to do? Arm yourself before your mouth says anything. I heard a good statement last night. Bonnie was telling me about, was it Wormbrand that said, if somebody can't say amen to what you're saying, don't say it? I've never heard that, and I thought, that is good. Man, I'm in trouble. But that is good. If you can't say what he says so that somebody else who believes him could say amen to that, don't say it. We're in a serious time of history in our lives right now. I think we're coming down to the end. Where he talks about the Lord coming in verse 8. Where the Lord's re going to return. It's not so much looking for prayer meetings going on and people quoting the Bible. He's looking for faith. People that are not giving up because it hadn't worked yet, but who are believing. People that haven't been discouraged and caved into the pressure and all the circumstances that people are talking about. They didn't give in to that. They just held fast. We're made fools for Christ's sake. He said, put me in remembrance. I hope you all do that. I hope when your problem comes up, instead of running to somebody, getting on the phone or calling somebody, I hope you have enough of the right stuff to say, well, let me see what the Bible says before I call Mabel. Now, if I mention anybody's name here and I happen to get your name, I really am not talking about you. I'm going to find out what this book says first. And so you begin to read. I don't know where to start. We'll get you a good concordance or get you a topical Bible. It's full of topics. And take time. Quit being in a hurry. God's in no hurry to perfect you. So just find out what he says. Read it. You'll find a verse of Scripture or a jewel. And that's what God said. Put him in remembrance. Pray according to this book, Lord, you said. Bonnie and I put our finger on that verse. Because God said that. That's what he said. That's what we're counting on. And once we let go of our faith of this, we're not going to pray any more about this. We're going to thank you that she's healed. I don't care what anybody says. And they say it, boy, they say it. It gets back to you. They say it. Would you go back one more time to Luke chapter 18, verse 7? And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? Though, now notice these words, because we're coming up to this faith statement in verse 8. Though he bear along with him? Bear along with him is the word macrothumia or macrothumia. It's the word for long-suffering, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. There's two words for patience in the Bible. One is, is to bear up under, the main word. And the other word for patience is being long-suffering, slow to anger with each other. That's a quality that God has towards you and that you should have towards other people. Slow to anger. Put up with a lot without getting mad. And so when he says he bears long with us, it means that God has a plan. He has something that's going to be fulfilling in your life. He doesn't hurry it up. He's in no hurry. And he has a lot of patience, and he bears up with us in our scuffles with him because he's long-suffering towards us. But his elect, his elect don't give up just because things don't look good don't seem to be working, and there's no relief in sight, and his elect do not faint. I don't know how many times we have heard people say, 
Or when's the last time you saw that work? Or when's the last time you saw a miracle, a leg, an eye, a tooth, or a, a limb, or a wheelchair? When's the last time you saw any of this work? Let me tell you all something. Jesus did not say, when you pray, get a calendar and hold him to it. But he said, when you pray, believe. Believe what? Believe you have received. Have received what? What you asked for. You know what he said? Listen to what in Vincent's word studies, interesting comments, Mr. Vincent made this comment about fainting and the elect. He said, the judge delays through indifference. God delays also, or seems to delay, in order to try his children's faith. Or, because his purpose is not ripe, he's still finishing his work. But he too will do justice to the suppliant, that's us. God has not forgotten what you've asked for. He is not indifferent to your prayers like the unjust judge was to that widow woman. He bears along with us. He knows the condition of your heart and the aches and the hurts and the pains. He knows the agony of how you pray when you pray in earnest. He can see our hearts. He knows all of those things about us. There's nothing that he doesn't know. And we're warned in Luke chapter 12 and verse 19, he says, in your patience, you possess your souls. What an amazing statement. Challenging. In your patience, your willingness to stay with what you believed, you possess your souls. I've known far too many people in my life that have prayed for something and it didn't work, and they walked away. I know people who prayed and it didn't work, and they just stayed put because they don't really believe anymore. They don't believe anything's going to work. I heard a guy say once years ago, not long after, maybe a year after I got saved, he said he wished he'd never heard of all this because his back, they prayed for his back, and his back wasn't instantly healed. I remember my back not long after that. My back hurt for two or three years just all the time. Couldn't sleep at night without pain, ever, ever. And all the other kind of pains, maybe it's old basketball pains. You know, when you're in shape, you, don't, you can just keep going. When you get out of shape, I must have had a bunch of them because they all came back in your knees and other parts of your body and all the stiffness and stuff. See, you get older, you grow out of all that. They don't happen anymore. There's just so, so much that they just gave up because when they prayed, it didn't look better. Frank's back never got better, so he quit. Started saying things against the faith message. You know where his faith was? His whole walk with God, his whole faith with God was determined whether or not God did that in a time he thought God should. A young man out in Gillette, Wyoming, years ago, he came up to me after a session out there, and he said, uh, I don't know if I believe all the things you're teaching. I said, well, what's your problem? Why not? Something like that. He said, well, I had athlete's feet, and I prayed for it, and it didn't get healed. I said, well, how long did you wait? He said, about three weeks. Is that right? I didn't tell him that you might wait a long time. But God is not unrighteous. He doesn't forget your request. You've got to prove to him that what you ask for, you ain't letting go of. I ain't letting go of it. I'm coming out of the chair or the limb is going to be restored, or whatever it is you're praying for, the marriage or whatever, I'm not letting go of this. I don't care how it looks, and people are mocking me and scoffing me and making all kinds of fun of me. I'm not going to let go of it. God's going to finally rescue us, and he'll do it speedily. But the question is, when he comes, will he find you believing? Will he? Will he find us believing that what he promised and what we say we believe He's going to do it. Let me close with these verses. Hebrews. He said, Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Is he going to return? Now, will he find us unwilling to use our faith for fear that again it won't work? 
Will he find us having tried it once and it didn't work and we're afraid to be disappointed again? Or will he find you believing what he promised and unwilling to let go of it, holding him to it? There are some people that are going to be strong when the Lord comes. They're going to be unwavering, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Somebody's going to do this. Now listen. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Who will see him? Oh, the big evangelicals say, well, you know, when the church is taken out of here and all over the world, just a billion people are going to go up. Now, that's what he said. He said, does your Bible say this? Those who look for him. Those who are daily thinking about him, talking to him, praying to him, bringing their requests, letting their supplications be known unto God. Laying before him the desires of their heart and quoting back to him what they promised as a basis for what they're believing. He's going to find people doing that. Listen to this one, Luke chapter 12, verse 36. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Looking for him. Tell you what I think he's saying. There are those who believe in God. He might not have done some things yet that you believe in him for, but he's faithful. He watches over his word. I don't care what condition it is. I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how far it deteriorates and all of that kind of stuff. There are no problems with God. There's nothing too hard for him. All he asks you to do, he asks you to do the easy part. You just say, well, I'm going to believe you'll do that. I'm going to take you at your word. And you just, you hold fast. You hold on to that word. And it days turns into weeks. Weeks turns into months. Months can turn into years. It did for Abraham for 25 years. He had a little boy he couldn't see. Some of us waited how many years for whatever to happen? confessing that we have it, and by this time people thought we're just some weird cult with some twisted and distorted version of Christianity. We're so different and what, you know, they acting like they've got coffins. <laughs> I'm healed. Mocking you like that. You walk around with a limp and you believe in God's going to restore, give you a new leg or a toe or an eye or something. And they talk about you like you're just some foolish soul the thing that distinguishes you from others, if I'm talking to you, is that you're willing to cast all your care over on the Lord and take him at his word. And no matter what, no matter whom, I'm going to hold on. And when Jesus comes, he's going to find me not only believing, but looking because there's something about faith that points you to heaven. It just keeps you in tune with heaven. And to those that look for him, shall he appear. And I do believe this, that when Jesus comes, a lot of people won't see him. There'll be so many people here who were expecting to go who didn't go that they'll explain this away. They'll say, oh, that wasn't anything. These people, I don't know what happened to them, but they're trying to play like, you know, we were left and they went. We were as good as they were and all of that. Nope. They said there will be a few who make it, and they're going to make it because they're going to be faithful. They're just not going to give up, and they're not going to throw in the towel. You turn to Hebrews 10, and we'll close. Back to the matter of prayer. Verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he won't tarry. He may bear long until his plan is accomplished. The cup of his wrath is filled, and it's time to pour out his judgment. That's coming. And when it happens, it'll happen speedily. For us, he said the next verse, now the just shall live how? In the same breath, now the just shall live by faith. I've been talking about this now, but if any man draw back because it doesn't look like it's working, you don't feel better, it doesn't look better, people are laughing, talking about us. If any man draw back, that word means to cower, 
My soul, God says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So he ends by saying, but we're not of those who draw back to what? Destruction or perdition. But we are those who believe to the saving of our soul. There is no other way for the elect to live than to live faithfully. Prayer, it's as simple as the two or three books to the right of where you are in 1 John 5. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. For this is the confidence that we have in him. You're going back to faith. Faith and confidence are twins. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, if we know that he hears us in the next verse, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, then what do we know? Then we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. The word know is a little Greek word, E-I-D-O. I think it's pronounced Ido. And the word literally means to see, to perceive, to get the picture. Like Thomas said, I will not believe until I see the prince in his hand. And the word there is our word know. It means knowing as though you see it. You don't really see it, but I believe it as though I have. Confidence that we have in him, we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, then what do we know? If we know that he hears us, then what do we know? We should know, shouldn't we? If I pray for something and he said it's according to his will, I've pointed it out, I've studied it, my heart is clear about this, and I can remind him this is his will. You said, Lord, just like Solomon did, Asa and Jehoshaphat, you said. Now, Lord, I'm going to take at your word just like them. We're all equal before you. You're no respecter of persons. I can do what King Jehoshaphat did. I can put you in remembrance. This is your will. You said, by stripes I was healed. You said, my God shall supply all your need abundantly. I'm here. I'm believing you for that. And the Bible says, if you ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears you. Can he hear you? Now, if we know, is that verse 15? If we know that he heareth us whatever we ask, then what do we know? Time out. Back to the beginning of this sermon. If I know he's heard me and I've asked for something according to his will, then I can know that I have it. If I have it, why am I still asking for it? Father, in the name of Jesus, your simple truths are eternal. They're unmovable and they're steadfast. I ask you to teach us this way, Lord. Take away from us the fear of what anybody thinks. Take away from us the uncertainty, the unsettled mind and heart about your promises. Make clear to us your word. Just make it clear to us. And may grace abound toward us in that we have the assurance that what you have said you will also do. And that we can live as though you who promised something will certainly do it because we ask. Bless us with that, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.